Ghosts are known to flow as freely as the liquor in New Orleans, and that's why it's considered one of the most haunted cities in the United States. It's home to spirits of those who were enslaved, voodoo priestesses, and even a Cajun werewolf. And not to forget that it's also been called one of the vampire capitals of the world, R.I.P. Anne Rice. In today's episode, we have all of the above. We're counting down the 10 most haunted spots in New Orleans, and I've got number one on this countdown. It's gruesome, it's tragic, and Nicolas Cage is connected to it. Hey, all you weirdos. Welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week, we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging but unsettling crimes, all picked by the Parcast Research Gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 haunted spots in New Orleans. Now, here's the thing. I have never been to New Orleans in person, which is pretty funny because I've spent like years of my life writing a book that's based in New Orleans. It is funny that you've (laughs) never been there. Never been there. But through Google Maps, I feel like I have been in every single corner of this place. (laughs) And it makes me want to go there so much more every time I look. And I immediately, when I think of it, I feel this mix of like happiness because it's like the music and the culture and like jazz. Yeah. But very spooky, very intriguing. The vibes are just immaculate in that way. It's kind of the home that I've never actually been to, is how I feel. Was beautiful. Thank you. I love that. I also could very much see you thriving in New Orleans. (laughs) I want to go so bad. Well, you're only allowed to go if you take me with you. Oh, of course. Because I too (laughs) think New Orleans is like such a spooky, happy, intriguing vibe. And it's home to some of my favorite movies and television shows. Hello, American Horror Story and Double Jeopardy. Interview with a Vampire. Hello. I also feel like we could do like a million and one episodes for Morbid and even Crime Countdown while we're there. Oh, yeah. The hauntedness of it all is screaming business trip quote unquote (laughs) (laughs) well speaking of american horror story actually you just like led me right into my number one might have something to do with that and it has been talked about for decades people know this story and it never gets easier to digest it's horrifying on every single level that you can even consider something to be horrifying. I have a feeling now that um, I might be able to guess you it. You probably do. And maybe I snuck AHS in there as like a kind of uh, like wink, 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 <laughs> nudge, nudge. But I'll wait to hear it throughout the countdown because that's how this whole thing works. Elena has five haunted New Orleans spots and so do I. But neither of us knows what the others bring into the list. Let's start the countdown. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. 
That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. Ten. I'll start us off with number 10, St. Vincent's Guest House. Yellow fever was running rampant across the United States in the 1800s. Port cities in the southern states were hit the hardest, especially the city of New Orleans, where many kids were left without parents and homes. To cope with the influx of orphan children in New Orleans, a group of nuns opened St. Vincent's Orphan Asylum in 1861. But sadly, the orphanage couldn't protect the kids from getting yellow fever, and some of them succumbed to the virus. The orphanage eventually became a home for unwed mothers and closed for good in the 1970s. It sat empty until the 1990s when it was renovated into a hotel. Seems like a good idea. Yeah, always a good idea. It's said that the kids who died at the orphanage can still be heard in the walls today. That sounds terrible. We stayed at the Lizzie Borden house, which was terrifying enough, but children plus haunted equals no thank you in my book. And if you're telling me like I can hear kids in the walls, like that's that's a zero Yelp rating and I'm out of there. I'm not. Nope. Don't want to hear kids in the walls. Like mice in the walls. Okay, go off. Sure. I mean, it's old. That's fine. Kids in the walls. Nah. Bye. No, I don't want to hear kids in the next room. Definitely don't want to hear them in the walls. (laughs) That's for sure. Exactly. Guests of the hotel and its staff claim to have seen apparitions of the children, and they've even heard them run and play on adjacent floors. That just makes me sad. Me too. And some people say that they've seen the ghosts of children sitting on beds and tugging on sheets. Well, now I feel like I have to go because I want to be like, it's okay. You're all right. I don't really want... They're orphaned kids. That's sad. I don't need an orphaned child pulling on my sheets in the night. I just feel some type of way. We can leave them something there, I guess. Okay. Well, there's also been a sighting of the ghost of a nun ascending the front stairway. That's ominous. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) Maybe you wanted to go there, but then maybe you didn't. That made me think twice, I feel. Nine. Number nine on our countdown is the Bourbon Orleans Hotel. It might be on the lower end of our chart, but the Bourbon Orleans Hotel is considered one of the top haunted hotels in the U.S., racking up as many as 17 ghosts on its guest list. Before it became the Bourbon Orleans Hotel, it was a theater and ballroom built in 1817. The building soon hosted the elite of New Orleans, including Louisiana state legislators who would meet in the ballroom. It's widely believed, though unverified, that Andrew Jackson announced his candidacy for president there. Oh, that's kind of cool. I love a little unverified fun fact. We love an unverified fact. I mean, I feel like it's unverified because like who there would be able to tell us now? Yeah, we don't have anyone to call to be like, you were there, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In 1881, the Sisters of Holy Family bought the ballroom and converted it into a convent. They eventually built an orphanage and school on the land. Fun fact about the Sisters, they're the first and oldest Black female-led religious order in America. Hey! We love verified fun facts, too. That's so cool. 
1964, it became the now famous Bourbon Orleans Hotel. So this place has a lot of history and potential for some major haunting. If you didn't already think it was haunted. Seriously, we have ballroom, we have orphanage, yeah, we, we have convent. school, we have convent, and now we have hotel. One of the many ghosts in this hotel is thought to be a Confederate soldier who roams the third and sixth floor. Why do ghosts only like go to certain spots? Like, why is that soldier only walking around those two floors? Favorite floors. You got an entire hotel. Yeah, well, not everybody likes to get cardio in all the time. I guess not. And in the hotel's ballroom, a mysterious figure likes to hide behind the curtains. That's fun. People have even seen the curtains mysteriously flutter, although no windows are open. That would be me as a ghost, just like hiding behind the curtains and being like, ooh, just flutter, flutter. She's going to scare you. Look at me. And according to the hotel's website, the ballroom is also home to a lonely ghost dancer who's been seen dancing under the ballroom's crystal chandelier. That's beautiful. To be a lonely dancer for all eternity, it sounds terrible. Here's the thing, though. Maybe they're not lonely. Maybe Uh, maybe they're a solo act. Yeah, maybe they just like to dance alone. They like to dance like no one's watching, and here we all are just staring at them, watching. Yeah, maybe not lonely. Yeah. Maybe vibing. Let's call it the vibing ghost dancer. I like that. Now, one of the more frequent sightings is that of a little girl rolling a ball and chasing it down the sixth floor corridors. Why is there always a little girl and or boy rolling a ball down a hall? Because it's the creepiest thing you can imagine. Like, get away from me. Also, the sound of children's laughter has also been heard echoing around the hotel. See, the thing is, I just said, get away from me. And stop laughing. It's not funny. Shh. And some guests have felt the back of their shirts being yanked. But when they turn around, there's no one there. I'd be like, this is 100% cotton. Don't be yanking my things. I also just have like a lot of personal space issues. And I'd be like, all right, ghost child, like get out of my bubble. (laughs) Stop yanking on my shirt. It's rude. Eight. Number eight on our countdown of the most haunted spots in New Orleans is the site of the old French Opera House. New Orleans was once considered North America's capital of opera, thanks to the French Opera House. But for many years, it was haunted by one of its heartbroken stars whose life ended tragically. Oh, I know. This one's already making me clutch my my chest. I know, right? That star was a young woman called Marguerite who performed at the Opera House shortly after it was built in the 1860s. She's been described as not being the best singer, but what she lacked in vocal ability, she made up for in looks and made quite the splash with audiences as a chorus dancer. Get it. However, as she aged, getting work as a performer got harder and the money stopped coming in. Because, you know, being a woman, you're just not allowed to age. I was just going to say, how dare she go and age? What the heck, Marguerite? Now, to top it all off, her husband was killed in a carriage accident and Marguerite was left with little money. First of all, that's sad. But second of all, I've heard like husbands being killed in a carriage accident around these like these decades always have spouses being killed in carriage accidents. Yeah. And I'm like, so this is just the car accident of that time. It is. But it sounds a lot more intense. Well, a a carriage accident accident would be intense because you have like horses colliding, I think. And like wood breaking and stuff. I don't know. Intense. Freaks me out. Yeah. And also like carriages don't even go as fast as cars. So it has to be pretty gnarly to die (laughs) in Right? Something had to have happened. 
Anyway, (laughs) with what money she did have left, Marguerite started a bakery business, even though she knew little about baking. But you know what? She's just going for it. I love it. I love it. I love blind confidence. Surprisingly, she did have enough money to hire a pastry chef to help her with her new business. The pair soon fell into a romantic relationship. That's precious. It's like a Hallmark movie. It really is. The pastry chef she hired to open her new baking business after her husband dies in a carriage accident because she can't be a famous opera singer anymore because she aged. I think that might be a Hallmark movie. (laughs) That's what? Uh, Write that book. This is not how it ends in the Hallmark movie. This is how it ends in real life. It came to a dramatic end when one night while he was drunk, Marguerite heard her lover mumble the name of a local sex worker, Lisette. Uh, yeah, that hasn't happened in a in a Hallmark movie, yeah, I don't no, think. I would, no. put, I would put money on that. When Marguerite realized that the chef might have given Lisette some of the belongings that Marguerite had given to him, her anger intensified. I get that. Yeah, same. Feeling heartbroken and betrayed, she felt like life wasn't worth living. No. She wrote a suicide note and then went to the opera house where she placed it in the rafters. Marguerite then walked back to her house where she shot herself in the head. No, Marguerite. I know. That's like heartbreaking. Just three days after her funeral, a witness claimed to see an apparition of a woman who resembled Marguerite. And according to the story, her spirit glided down Bourbon Street and reportedly went to the apartment where the chef and Lisette were staying. I'm screaming. The next morning, tenants in the building called the fire department because they smelled gas coming from the couple's apartment. I'm about to leave. When the firemen arrived, they found the bodies of Lisette and the chef in bed. Their deaths were ruled a suicide, but locals believe it was the spirit of Marguerite who killed the lovers. And for years since then, her ghost has been seen taking lonely walks in the area. Is this a movie? It needs to be a movie. If it's a movie, someone give it to me immediately. I need to watch. If it's not, I want to make it. It needs to be a movie. This has everything you need. It's so tragic in every way you could... Wow. And there's just so many little tragedies throughout. Wow. But so many, like, little beautiful things. Yeah, like, that, that just made me feel some type of way. She wasn't a singer, but she was gorgeous. And when she wasn't gorgeous, she wasn't a baker, but she learned to be. And she fell in love. And then, oh, tragedy. Tragic. Seven. At number seven this week is the St. Louis Cemetery number one. The St. Louis Cemetery is the oldest cemetery in New Orleans, having opened in 1789. The cemetery gets about 100,000 visitors every year, including a famous punk band who went on a bone-stealing mission there in 1982. The powerful 19th century voodoo priestess Marie Laveau is believed to be interred at the St. Louis Cemetery. It's been said that Laveau, who died in 1881, had the power to save condemned prisoners from execution. Casual. And some say that she continues to work her magic from beyond the grave. I believe it. I do. Some scholars have disputed that this is her resting place, but this hasn't stopped occultists from visiting her site. They draw red X's on the whitewashed mausoleum, hoping Laveau will grant them their wishes. And here's a random fact. In 1982, members of the band The Misfits were arrested for trespassing in search of Marie Laveau's grave. That's hilarious. I didn't know that. That's crazy. 
Have you ever been to any famous graves? I've been to the graves, um, like the witches in Salem. Yeah, that's one I've been to. I would love to see Marie Laveau's grave. I know. I have been to uh, Marilyn Monroe's Mm -hmm. grave. I would love to go. It's a wild one because people kiss it with lipstick. So there's lipstick marks all over it, which I'm like, I don't think she would love that. No, I don't really think so. I did not partake. I'm glad. Also because that's gross. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. But it's really wild when you're at a like famous grave because you're like they're there. Yeah, I can only imagine like, that right feeling. There, <laughs> crazy, but, but not. Now, if you're looking for a burial spot for yourself, you can get one here for the small fee of forty thousand dollars. What a bargain! Yeah, you're looking to go there. That's all. Well, in 2010, Nicholas Cage, yes, that Nicholas Cage, purchased a nine-foot pyramid-shaped tomb at the cemetery for himself. Go off, King. It's inscribed with the Latin phrase, Omnia ab uno, which translates to everything from one. Who knew that Nick Cage was so deep? He loves New Orleans. I love Nick Cage. (laughs) Who doesn't? Six. Landing at number six is Bayou Sail Road. There are many roads that are known to be haunted in Louisiana, but this one is known as one of the most haunted roads in the entire state. Get ready for the werewolf and the hitchhiker. Get ready. I've been born ready for that. (laughs) (laughs) That's the reason you were born. Bayou Sail Road is a long and curvy road also known as LA-57. Some people say it's so haunted because the road was built on sacred grounds belonging to indigenous people, which, if that's the case, that's very sad. Woof. According to the Louisiana Archaeology Division, there are over 311 burial sites in that area. Wow. Crazy. One local resident reported seeing various spirits on the road, including seeing the faces of people that have died plastered onto other people's bodies. Oh, crazy. I hate that. I know. Me too. Another famous story, one you might know, Elena, is that of Rougarou. Yes! A Cajun werewolf. We talked about him on Morbid. We did. It's been described as a creature with a human body, but with the head of a wolf or a dog. It's been known to prowl around the Louisiana swamps looking for misbehaving children. Eek. Drivers have said they've had to slam on their brakes to avoid Rougarou, who they say they saw standing in the road. One of the more famous ghosts on the road is that of a male hitchhiker. He supposedly lures people in with an outstretched hand. And if you pick him up, he might demand treasures and other items before he's willing to go. That's so intense. Like, what treasures do you think I have in my glove box? They also should put up a sign that says, like, Rougarou Crossing. They should. So people don't have to slam on their brakes. That would be iconic. Well, it's not just the hitchhiker and the werewolf that make this road creepy. The windy road has plenty of blind corners that make you feel like someone or something thing might jump out at you. The Rougarou. It's him. Oh, I'm so glad that we got to talk about a Cajun werewolf. I know. That's just, I always want to talk about a Cajun werewolf. Who doesn't? That's just, honestly, New Orleans and Louisiana in particular is just fascinating to me. I know. I agree. The history is insane. It's crazy to me that there's one that I haven't heard yet, but I'm thinking it might be number one. So I think you might be right. Okay. Yeah. All right. It belongs way down on that list. I'm if waiting. It's the one I'm thinking of. I'm waiting for one to two more, I would say. All right. Let's see. All right. Number 
I'm Sarah Turney, host of Disappearances, a Spotify original from Parcast. In 2020, I used social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and finding that the truth may be even harder to locate than the person. Who forced a famed explorer to lose his way? What did a missing Hollywood starlet leave behind? And how could the heiress to a Chicago candy fortune just vanish? Every Thursday on Disappearances, join me for a deeper look into history's most gripping missing persons cases. Tracking timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the actual truth. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances. Listen free only on Spotify. Let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of most haunted spots in New Orleans. Starting off the second half of our list is Pirate's Alley. Arg. Despite only being 600 feet long and 16 feet wide, Pirate's Alley is home to some very notable names from history. Here you will find the spirits of pirates, a priest, and a Nobel Prize winning author. I love variety. Yeah, they're all hanging out together. Legend has it that pirates traveled through Pirate's Alley to enter New Orleans from the Mississippi River, only a few blocks away. Another suggests that pirates and other criminals were often seen being escorted to the local prison via this route. One such pirate who supposedly haunts the alley is the infamous Jean Lafitte. The legend goes that during the War of 1812, Lafitte negotiated his brother's release from prison with General Andrew Jackson, future president, along Pirate's Alley. In exchange for the release, Lafitte agreed to help Jackson in the fight against the British. Legend also states that Lafitte and his band of pirates operated a base out of Pirate's Alley, but there's no historical evidence to actually prove this. People claim to have seen the ghost of Jean Lafitte lurking around the alley but others say that the ghost might be that of another French pirate, Reginald Hicks. According to lore, Hicks was with Lafitte when he met with Andrew Jackson, and the story goes that Hicks, fresh off a ship and new to the city, met a French Creole woman and soon got her pregnant. Refusing to have an illegitimate child, he hunted down a priest to marry them, but time was short because he had to go off to war. They couldn't find a priest, but they did find a German minister who married them by an iron gate along Pirate's Alley. I kind of love that story. <laughs> Romance. It's thought that Hicks was killed at war, and tragedy. Yeah. So he didn't get to spend much time with his wife. Some say that Hicks still haunts the alley today, and people have reported hearing wedding bells and sounds of ghostly laughter. I want to go there, and I want to hear it. Yes. Another person who reportedly haunts the alley is the writer William Faulkner, who rented an apartment there. It's here where he wrote his first novel, Soldier's Pay. Faulkner's former home is now a bookstore, and it's said that his ghost still lingers in the building. Love it. I always love like an author ghost. I wonder why. I, it Someday you're going to be an author seems, ghost. It seems very charming. Like just an author hanging around. I don't know. I feel like I'd be stressed out because I know what it's like for somebody to write a book in your <laughs> life. And I feel like the author ghost would be kind of stressed. You would just feel the stress at yeah. all times. Well, people claim to have seen the ghost of Faulkner just sitting at his writing desk. 
Okay. So he's chilling. He was known for smoking pipes, and there have been reports of the scent of pipe smoke wafting through the shop. Oh, that's cool. I like that a lot. That's kind of fun. Another spirit lingering around the alley is that of a priest. He's been described as a joyous man who was loved by his congregation. And that's just lovely. That is great. He was a bit of a hero. When the Spanish said that Frenchmen couldn't have a burial, the priest, with a few friends, took some of the bodies of the dead Frenchmen and gave them a burial in secret. What a stand-up guy. This alley sounds great. Let's go to this alley. Today, people claim to have heard the priest singing Kyrie on rainy nights. Beautiful. I gotta go to this alley. Pirate's Alley, let's go. This awesome. I'm there. Landing at number four this week is the Old Ursuline Convent. Long before Anne Rice solidified New Orleans as a vampire capital of the world, a group of French women helped pave the way for that title. Now known as the Casket Girls, legend has it these women brought blood-sucking vampires to the city of New Orleans in the 1700s. They sound awesome. Why did we not name, like, something Casket Girls? Let's start a band and call it the Casket Girls, please. Can we? I can't play music, but we'll do it. It's same, but we'll figure it out. I mean, Marguerite figured out how to bake. She did. Now this story. This story goes like this. In the early 1700s, Louisiana was having a bit of a population crisis. To solve it, the governor of the city asked the French government for some good virgin women who could marry the French colonists. Seems fine. Seems like a problem. (laughs) Seems awful. (laughs) Between 1719 and 1721, the French sent 258 young women over to Louisiana. Some accounts say they were, quote, fine young women, but other accounts say they came from grim places like orphanages and prisons. Oh, this is so sad. I mean, like an orphanage isn't necessarily a grim place. Yeah. Well, actually it is because they're kids. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. Double thought that. They arrived pale-faced, carrying their belongings in small trunks called caskets. To the locals, the small trunks looked like coffins. Until they were matched with partners, the women were sent to live at the Ursuline Convent in the French Quarter. They were given a home in the third floor attic of the convent. Though under the care of nuns, the girls were looked down upon and were often raped and abused by the locals. Horrific. Yep. Rumors spread that the French women had smuggled vampires over from Europe in their cases with a plan to set the vampires loose in New Orleans. I'm not really sure how you would fit a body into those tiny cases. Maybe they thought it was a bat that then turned into a vampire. I was just going to say, apparently vampires are very tiny. I don't know. It didn't help the women's defense when shortly after arriving in the city, the death rate doubled and some of the murder victims had been drained of blood. Oh, so, you know, yikes. When the young women left the convent, some of their coffin-like cases were left behind. The nuns worried that the women might have vampire connections or even be vampires. So they shut the cases away in the attic and they sealed off the floor. According to some reports, a priest was brought in from Rome to bless the tools and nails that were used to seal the windows and doors. Jeez. And I know, like, really taking serious precautions no here. No stone unturned here. <laughs> Seriously. I wish they would use this treatment for, like, other things. Yeah, it's like, hello, Rome? Can you come real quick? Excuse me, Rome? 
A news article from 2015 reports that some people claim the young women's cases are still sealed away in that convent. Oh my god. But people associated with the convent claim the cases are no longer there. I don't believe you. (laughs) (laughs) To this day, though, the attic windows are still covered with shutters. Exactly, because they're in there. I think they're in there. Oh my god, I need to know. Like, I feel like they're if they are in there, they're just cases and they don't have vampires in them, but probably not. But st- fun. still cool. Fun. Still relics from a terrible, terrible time. <laughs> Three. Number three on our countdown of most haunted spots in New Orleans is the Manchac Swamp. The Manchac Swamp, an hour and a half drive from New Orleans, is surrounded by brilliant green cypress trees and has been described as one of the most beautiful places in Louisiana. But it's also known as the Ghost Swamp and is also thought to be haunted by a voodoo priestess. Again, casual. We covered this on Morbid. Yeah, we did. This was one of my favorite episodes. It's a fascinating one. The voodoo priestess was Julia Brown, sometimes also called Julia White or Julia Black. She lived on the edge of the swamp in a town called Fernier, where she worked with its residents. The priestess was known for her charms and curses, and it's thought she worked as a healer. The story goes that she used to sit on her porch and sing a song with the lyrics, quote, One day I'm going to die and take the whole town with me. On September 29, 1915, a massive hurricane swept into the area, causing winds of up to 125 miles per hour. Can you imagine? No, I cannot. Like, we have some gnarly winds over here in New England. Nothing compared to that. No. Nothing. According to legend, this also happened to be the same day as Brown's own funeral. That's so spooky. When the storm hit, residents of Frenier took shelter at a railroad depot. It collapsed and killed 25 people. Oh, that's sad. The people who were killed at Brown's funeral were buried in a mass grave somewhere near the swamp, along with Brown's body. In total, about 60 people from Frenier and another nearby town were killed because of the storm. And the towns were completely destroyed. I can only imagine. According to lore, Brown was responsible for the storm because she had put a curse on the town of Frenier. She supposedly did it because she felt like they had taken her for granted. And it kind of sounds like they did take her for granted. It seems like it. But to cast some good juju onto this story, Mental Floss did some digging on Julia Brown, and it turns out that the voodoo priestess was probably a beloved local healer, and that the song she sang was maybe more of a warning to the people of the town rather than a curse. That's what I'd like to go with. And when I did my research, I agree. I think it was a warning. I think she was a healer. I think she did good stuff. And I think she was just trying to tell everybody, you gotta, you gotta get out of here. That's how I feel about it. Wow. I'm so glad that Manchak Swamp was on there. I know. Because I love that Julia made an appearance. But man, Marguerite. Marguerite has been absolutely my favorite story so far just because it was so devastatingly beautiful. Yeah, that's exactly a devastatingly beautiful. Like, that's the blurb I would write if it was a book. It truly is. It's wild. It's just all New Orleans stories, I feel like, even like the Casket Girls, it's like spooky, but it has this weird, like you said, like beauty to it. Yeah. 
tragedy. I don't know. It's just rife for like stories and books and movies and just plays. Because they, all of these stories and books and plays that are like set in New Orleans, they have a feeling. Yeah, they do. And I've never been to New Orleans, like I said in the beginning, but it's a feeling. It's a feeling from all the way over here in the Northeast of the United States. So I can't imagine how it feels to actually be there. I'm also very excited for these last two on the list because I'm like, okay, it has to be here, the one that I'm looking for. And it is, I think. Okay. Two. We're down to the final two spots on our countdown. And at number two is... The Sultan's Palace. The legend of the Sultan's Palace begins back in 1836, when a luxurious Greek home was built in the French Quarter and caught the eye of a Sultan's brother. It soon became the scene of a brutal massacre. In 1839, the Sultan's Palace, which is officially called the Gardet La Pretra House, was purchased by a wealthy merchant and plantation owner called Jean-Baptiste Le Pret. But when the Civil War broke out, Le Pret's businesses suffered and his wealth diminished. So when he was approached by a wealthy Turkish man who asked Baptiste if he would rent the Gardet house to the brother of a sultan, Baptiste agreed. After the two made the deal, the house was fitted with extra locks, heavy drapery was put up in the windows, and extra chains and locks were put on the gates. Soon after, the sultan's brother moved in. Supposedly, a harem of five veiled women also moved in, as well as a bounty of gold and jewels. One night, a gang of assassins, thought to have been hired by the sultan, hacked the brother and the harem to death. Oh. When a neighbor was walking by the house one morning, they noticed blood dripping from the walls. Oh. So they called the police. Good. went inside and discovered the dismembered bodies. Ooh. There was, according to one telling of the story, a note left with the bodies that said, this is what happens to traitors. Oof. The story goes that the sultan's brother had stolen the sultan's women and the treasures. Some say the ghost of the sultan's brother still roams around the house, which has now been turned into apartments. Oh my God. Can you imagine if you lived in that apartment? The fact that that was turned into apartments is real wild. I mean, what else were they going to do? I was going to say, they turned any of these things into stuff, so... Now, if that ghost isn't enough, there's also been a sighting of a Confederate soldier lurking in the building, obviously. Uh, There has to be. As well as that of a woman who probably lived at the property at one time. But let's clarify here that the history and facts surrounding this story are a little murky. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 most haunted spots in New Orleans, the LaLaurie House. I knew it! I knew that was the one you were thinking of. As we've learned in this episode, New Orleans is home to some terrifying properties, ones that come with a rich and dark history. The LaLaurie House is definitely one of those places. Madame Delphine LaLaurie was born into a wealthy family in 1787. When she was just 13 years old, in 1800, she married a high-ranking Spanish royal officer who was second in command to the Louisiana governor. But after just five years of marriage, he died, leaving Delphine a single mother. 
Delphine soon married again, this time to a businessman involved in the slave trade. When her mother died, Delphine inherited a plantation. It had 52 enslaved people, along with livestock and farm equipment. But when her second husband died, Delphine was left with $16,000 worth of debt. That is $2.5 million in today's money. That's a lot of money. She managed to recoup some of her wealth when her father died in 1824. He left her two slaves and $5,000 in his will. The fact that people were left in a will. I was just just going to say that. Something you really have to take a second for. And Delphine's finances got another boost when she married a doctor, her third marriage. But it was an unhappy one and is said to have actually driven her to madness. In 1831, Delphine bought the property that would become the infamous Haunted LaLaurie Mansion. I think a lot of people have heard of this place. Oh yeah, definitely. Delphine was known to be abusive, not only toward her enslaved people, but also her own children. So she's just a terrible human being in every way. a monster. In 1833, Delphine chased a young enslaved child with a whip. In her attempt to escape, the girl ended up on the roof of the house, which she fell or jumped off of and died. Her body was found hidden in a well. That's just so sad. It gets worse. I know it does. In 1834, a fire broke out at the LaLaurie Mansion. When locals noticed smoke coming from the residence, they rushed over to offer help. When Delphine wouldn't give them a key to the doors where the enslaved lived, they broke them down and found seven enslaved people. She wouldn't give them keys to get into them while the house is burning down. They were reportedly tied up with spiked iron collars, some badly mutilated. Rescuers found a 70-year-old black woman who was chained up in the kitchen and reportedly slowly starving to death. That's just so sad. Now, reportedly, while the fire was breaking out, Delphine was busy trying to save her furniture. Goodbye. Yeah. Goodbye. Word quickly spread about what had been discovered in the house, and a mob descended on the property. They looted it as the fire was still raging. Some reports say there were about 4,000 looters. Wow. Delphine was never charged for what she did, but her reputation was completely ruined. How was she never charged for this? It seems like so many awful people are getting away with stuff. Some reports say that she ended up moving to Paris, where she stayed until her death in 1849. The black woman who was found chained up in the kitchen later admitted to starting the fire just because she wanted to escape Delphine's torture. Oh, that's so, uh, to have to go to that yeah. length to get away from a human being from torture that you're living every day. Horrible. Now let's get to the hauntings because obviously this is rife for it. Not long after the blaze ripped through the mansion, stories of ghostly occurrences started. For almost 200 years, there have been reports of paranormal activity. People claim to have heard the shrieks of the tortured enslaved. By the 1870s, the building had been converted into apartments. Again. Children living in the complex reportedly told their parents of hearing unexplained moans and screams and the sound of dragging chains. But the parents brushed it off. If my kid, my future kid, comes into my room and says, I heard some moans and screams and the dragging of chains, I would begin packing immediately. Yeah, that's when you, like, that's a level. That's a level you hit. Like, my youngest has recently started telling me that there's um, a skeleton, which she calls Skeletal, Skeletal. in her room. And she says he's a nice guy and he's very happy and that he recently just went back to his family. So (laughs) that's good. But that didn't bother me as much because apparently he's a nice guy. But, like, if she had told me 
moans and screams and dragging of chains, you'd pack up. Time I'd have, to get out. I'd have more questions. There'd be more follow-up. I'd call someone. I would, yeah, someone. I, I don't know who, but I'd call someone. Ghostbusters. Well, also, one tenant was murdered. And lore has it that his death suggested ties to paranormal activity. What? Don't live there. I don't think I've ever heard that before. In the mid-19th century, the mansion was, for a while, an all-girls high school, where some of the students reportedly experienced random physical assaults. I would think. This is a bad place, guys. And supposedly, various owners of the mansion have found their health and wealth completely ruined, which they've blamed on the cursed building. But I'm thinking, like, maybe they've just been buying too many properties. And, and they're that stressed. Could be it. Stress is bad for your health. And buying up properties that like this are probably, probably bad not for great. your wealth. Well, now, finally, Nicolas Cage wants to make a second appearance on today's countdown. We told you he loves New Orleans. I'm here for it. You know, from 2007 until 2009, he owned the LaLaurie Mansion. He told Vanity Fair that he thought it would be a good place to write a great American horror story. But he didn't get very far. He ended up having to foreclose on the property. So That's we never saw it. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, so that was definitely number one. When you think of New Orleans haunted places, one of the first things that comes to mind is, is LaLaurie Mansion. Mansion for, for, sure. for sure. And it's just unthinkable it's like fiction you can't even come up with fiction that's worse than that no you literally can't at all so i can't think of anything that they left off this list some of the things i didn't even know about i know i don't know like a ton about all of them so i wonder if we could even do a part two yeah seriously that'd be fun because honestly i'd heard of the casket girls but not yeah. a lot about them mm -hmm. so i was i was interested to see them on here again well done park ass research gods i know we can't get you again foiled again Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which we hope you do, you can listen to our podcast, Morbid, anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Morbid Podcast or on Twitter at A Morbid Podcast. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Research by J.K. Heo. Fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. <laughs>